Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. Me, Bordy and Lippy here for our World Cup 2023 review. We've got a beaming Australian, uh, a slightly less happy Kiwi and a very, very dejected Englishman and a billion dejected Indians around the world as well. Uh, We're going to come on to all of that and more. Our teams of the tournament, what needs changing for the next World Cup in terms of format if we were in charge of the ICC and a lot, lot more. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Oh, that was a good twish. <laughs> so, boys, we're here. It's, what, about a week or so after the final of World Cup 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously are going to go through a lot in terms of unpacking the tournament. Throughout the course of the tournament, we had daily shows reviewing all of the games and all of the action across the venues all across India. Um covered the final and I think obviously we're going to talk in a little bit of detail about that we also want to talk a little bit about the format of this World Cup and the future or the next World Cup as well which is back to 14 teams and also the format of one day cricket I think there's a lot of arguments a lot of conjecture going around the Twitter sphere particularly exosphere doesn't work as well does it as Twitter no that's a very different thing (laughs) that's an actual thing yeah actual physical thing yeah so um I, I think in terms of the Twitter sphere definitely um, uh, look, I, I guess some chat around the jeopardy elements of this tournament and the fact that there weren't a lot of close games um, throughout the course of the tournament as well. So we'll come on to that. We've got some highlights and lowlights and we'll also try and pick a team of the tournament where one player from each nation has to feature as well. And I know that's been... And an X Factor. And an X Factor player as well. So that, that's all coming up. But... Stu, I think you wanted to open with a question for for Baldy, didn't you? I did, I did, and mainly, uh, obviously, you said that he's grinning away. He probably hasn't stopped grinning all week. I hope, so. I hope not, because that's certainly how I would have felt as a as a Kiwi. And I think uh, certainly last time that we recorded in person, I think what maybe was the first time. You're not you're not the parochial Aussie that you know necessarily some people some people's view is that you know the Australian stereotype. But I think. Uh, for the first time, I think I noticed some nerves and some maybe some investment actually in the Australian team and, and in this journey. And I guess there's been a lot of talk uh, since the tournament about maybe this being Australia's greatest ever white ball victory. And I think that's um, look, I'm no historian of the game. I have no idea about um, you know how to judge it compared to the other things. So I'm probably not going to go into that there too much. I think from you know my own point of view, it does feel like this was the most unlikely, perhaps, in the sense that those two thousands teams, they those teams seemed dominant, you know, just completely dominant. It felt like at times that an Australia A team could have won those tournaments. Now we look at this team, and and I feel in the same way that I did about their T twenty win, you know, a couple of years ago. This is feels like a very flawed side, but. Somehow they've managed to to win the tournament. They've managed to perform at the right times. They've they've you know people kind of say they managed to perform at the right times, but they won eight straight to get there. They lost two games and then won kind of their next maybe eight or nine to get or nine in a row to nine win. in a row to win the tournament. So you know obviously very well deserving of the title. But I think what I wanted to ask you really, seeing all that investment last time, is this the most like enjoyable the most you know you know the most excited you've been to see an Australian side win a World Cup how do you kind of rank them in terms of your favourites yes yeah yes no um, it, you're it, lucky it, that you've had a few you know so I'm sitting over here we haven't had a World Cup win so it's it's not as easy for me to think about it, you know the, the it, best one I've been I've been very much practicing my uh, gracious winner face over no, the last turn, week turn that off um, it, it is it is you're right in 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 almost all of your points in that it is probably i think the most unlikely victory in terms of world cups other than maybe the 87 one i think was probably pretty unlikely we were an emerging nation again after this sort of debacle of 84 5 and the retirements of of a whole bunch of greats at that point in the mid 80s and there was you know a very well documented resurgence under Alan Border but it was underway it wasn't there yet in 87 we didn't really see it until the late 80s early 90s this is the most i think unlikely world cup victory that australia have produced given the dominance of the team that we beat in the final mm. in 99 south africa were a very very good cricket side but i think australia were on par with them 03 and 07 australia were clearly the best one day cricket side in the world at that time 
uh, in 07, we were as dominant as we were we had ever been. And I think there was something about that Australian team in 2015 that you, you almost felt like they were not quite destined to win it, but once they got to the final, you felt pretty confident that Australia were the, the favourites for that game, even yeah, up yeah. against an old foe in New Zealand. So for me, in 2023, Australia have overachieved, I think, more than ever we have before in terms of going on to win a major one-day 50-over tournament. Uh, we weren't expected to win the 2021 T20 World Cup either, I don't no. really think. I think that was a that was England's tournament to win, um, and Australia kind of jagged one there. But in terms of overachieving against a side that was so dominant in the World Cup, it would be like Australia losing the 2007 event, having mm. gone through that and then lost, uh, you know, if they'd lost to Sri Lanka in the final. So that has been the most pleasing thing for me, I think. Uh, I don't think it's Australia's greatest moment in, in cricket. I, I think winning the semi-final in 99 against South Africa yeah. and then going on to win the final, I think those games, because they were so close, you know, there was you can't get closer than a tie, um, those are the greatest achievements I think Australia has ever produced, given the disappointment in 92 and then losing the final in 96 to break through in 99 and then finally win it, I think was Australia's greatest achievement. But it's certainly the most overachieved, I think, Australia have ever put on the cricket field. Yeah, I think if you line the sides up as well, uh, there's been a bit of a, uh, I don't know, it's a meme doing the rounds. It's got the, the sides from the 87 World Cup final uh, win, 99-2000s, Three, three, two thousand seven, two thousand fifteen, and so on and so forth. I think if you look at that ninety nine side, in my view, that was the greatest Australian white ball side. There was some arguments that uh, two thousand and three side was better, but I think obviously Shane Warne was a notable omission from from that due to his diuretic. So if you go back to that ninety nine side, you'd, you'd got McGrath, you'd got Hayden, you'd got Gilchrist, you'd got Steve Waugh, you'd got Ricky Ponting, um, you know. It's a little bit of a downgrade to have Brad Hogg, I think, in in the side for for O three. Although he was pretty uh, good, you know, he, he, he was. But are you gonna you're gonna sit here and argue that he's better than Shane Warne? No, no I don't think you know you, you, we're we're gonna manage that. He was just as happy as Shane Warne. No it, one's no. It, there's never been an international cricketer no. happier than Brad Hogg. Yeah, and I think probably because he was an international cricketer. Yeah. <laughs> so so I think that you know the, the achievement and the sum of the parts of this team and the way that yes. you know the way that people have uh, have really fronted up throughout the course of the tournament and I think almost a little bit unnoticed that Australia had gone nine on the bounce to win it. All yeah. the talk was obviously of can India make it, a, you know, a complete uh, a complete uh, wash throughout the course of the tournament and win every single game they play in. And, um, and then it was really only kind of afterwards that you thought, well, actually, Australia have just <laughs> yeah. gone nine, nine for nine for nine and, and nine out of ten, um, which is, you know, only obviously one different to, to India's, India's record. And, you know, the engraver, you know, didn't have to, to write the shorter word on the trophy, did he, this time around? So... Um, <laughs> I guess that does leave us... We, we've got to have praise for, I think, both teams in this tournament, but I think we've then all got, also probably got to lead on to the format of of the of the tournament. And the two things I want to cover here are, A, you know, all the teams playing each other, Ryan Robin, and then a very, very short finals phase mm. um, versus what we're going to have next time, which is back to 14 teams. We're going to have two pools, super sixes and so on. Um, and, and so forth. But f- first, just a word for the for the two teams in the final, Stu. Can, can I just actually ask before we, because I, yeah, I, I do think we should give India some praise. And obviously when we talk about our tournament teams and things, we'll, we'll you know, there'll be a lot of discussion about the, the brilliant play from them. But I actually wanted to ask a question. Um, Pat Cummins has obviously been someone who, has has earned a lot of praise from this final from for his performance and obviously his captaincy and, and the decision, the bold decision to bowl first and things. Well, how do you think this changes his legacy, actually? Because he, uh, or, you know, or does it, you know, in three months' time, does it? Because three months ago, you know, after the Ashes, I think his captaincy was being, you know, all around panned. the world was being panned. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he was being panned as this nice guy who wasn't a very good captain and who... Didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, didn't know what he was doing and, and kind of just managed players and, and, yeah, didn't didn't really have that tactical sense. Now... He's seen as this, you know, tactical genius for the way he mm. did the, uh, run the World Cup. Uh, you know, is this a a point where he now grows into you know a great Australian captain, or is this just a great moment in you know a, a, a brilliant cricketer's career? It's a really interesting question. I think part of the success of Australia over these past nine games and Pat Cummins' captaincy and the emergence of him as a leader and the coaching staff as well 
is is part of the reason that I've been kind of swept up emotionally in this World Cup and why I was so excited in the semi-final and final preview and why I had a, a you know a, a bit more emotional investment than I otherwise would. I think I have been caught up in the emotion of Pat Cummins' emergence as a leader. Um, Eighteen months ago, when or, or whenever it was that was that was the moment where Justin Langer was fired mm. and effectively the Australian players from the outside looking in was were painted in the media by as pretty much saying, this is the guy who we don't want anymore. We don't want Justin Langer anymore. He's not the right guy to lead us forward. We want Andrew McDonald. And that was quite clear from the outside of the way it was portrayed in the media is that's what the team did and that's what Pat Cummins said that he wanted and that's what he got. And at the time, I think a lot of people said, well the measure of Pat Cummins as a captain now is, is he able to deliver results? He's got the team around him that he wanted. He's got the setup and the environment that he wanted. Mm. Now you are measured on whether or not you are successful and you've achieved results. And I think 2-2 notwithstanding, Adam, he has delivered outstanding results over the last um, 18 months or so. He's won a series in India. He's won the World T20, uh, the World Test Championship. He's retained the Ashes and he's won a, a 50-over World Cup. And I think at least two of those things Australia weren't expected to do. I don't think Australia were expected to win, an, uh, win a series in India, and we're certainly not expected to win the 50-over World Cup. I think having made the Test Championship final, I kind of expected Australia to win that, mm. and I expected Australia to retain the ashes in England You know, as a, as a fan. So from a results point of view, he has set a very positive mark in the sand in terms of his legacy around achieving success in the first 18 months of his career. Let's see what the next 24 to 48 months um, bring in terms of his captaincy. I, I think he's probably got a shelf life of four, maybe five years as a captain. I think that's probably right for an international captain nowadays. Maybe a bit longer, who knows? I think, um, I think maybe a bit less given that he's a th you know a three-format three player and, he, and he's a seamer. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he'll be a three-format captain for that long. Yeah. I think the emergence of Travis Head will... Be, uh, will uh, start to reignite that debate yeah. of you know split white ball red ball captains again, and I think that's the way Australia will end up going, purely to reduce his workload, Pat yeah. Cummins's workload uh, as a player and as a, as a skipper. But for now, he has written himself a very very positive legacy, um, having emerged from a lot of criticism over the last eighteen months in terms of the style of play, the negativity. You know, you go back to two games into this tournament, yeah. being panned for being um, unprepared, didn't look like they were a good fielding side, didn't look like they had great attitude. He turned that around. He and the coaching staff turned that around and they've done a remarkable job of that. And you have to pay respect to results. And Australia have got the results. Yeah. If we're going to go off uh, script within the first question of the podcast, let, let's... Uh, Let's go even further off script. What about the the Rohit Sharma comparison there? So obviously there's an age, massive age difference. Rohit Sharma, 36 years mm. old. Um, mm. You know, if they'd have won this game, then I think, you know, the band stay, very much would have stayed together. Do, do we see this as potentially wholesale changes? I think if I look at, and it isn't a great barometer, but if you look at the T20 squad that they've just announced for these five um, tonight. Five so twenty games. Um, I think there's only two guys that were in the um, in the squad. I think Ishan Kishan and and I think maybe Axar might be in that T yeah T twenty squad. Oh, look, that could be wrong. So please, if if, if I am wrong, that, that there might be a third or fourth one. But uh, when I've had first glance at it, it was very very different personnel. What do we think this means for for India? Is this a reset for them? Given the the, the fifty over cycle, what, you know what what do we think is in store for? For, for guys like Rohit, for guys like Virat Kohli, um, potentially for a Ravi Ashwin, maybe even a Jasprit Bumrah as well. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because, yeah, I think I've said at some point when we're talking about this, the World Cup and sort of in the New Zealand frame of mind and that the, the World Cups used to be every four years and they used to be kind of your point where you'd start to refresh and you'd go, okay, well, now we look ahead to the next World Cup and we'll slowly start phasing out these older players and we'll bring in these newer ones. The T20 World Cup in 2024 is about six months away. Yeah. You know, so I think uh, I, I think I have seen that Rohit and Virat, especially there's going to be discussions between the BCCI and them yeah. about 
um, you know, probably more with uh, Rahul Dravid around what they want to do. I would say it's in their hands, right? You'd certainly say from this tournament that both of them still have plenty to offer in at least in white ball cricket. I mean, you know, their their red ball records are, are pretty handy as well. So it's kind of very very especially I think as always sort of talked about red ball cricket being the pinnacle and things. So I would imagine that you know we're not going to see him retire anytime soon. But yeah, I, I don't know, and and I, you know whether they're at the next twenty twenty seven ODI World Cup. I think that's there's a Sean lot. Sean would be forty, wouldn't he? Yeah, maybe? I think yeah. there's a lot of water to go under the bridge there. But in terms of actually contributing, I mean, you think about where that next, where that T Twenty World Cup's going to be in the West Indies and all the pitches we've seen. When you see the CPL, some of the scores are some. Sometimes those scores are very low. Yeah. I would have, I would have thought, you know, a player like Virat Kohli who can play that kind of anchor innings. I mean, he can obviously do a bit more than that, but the way he can bat around and, and bat in all conditions and play spin and, you know, what he did for this Indian side in this ODI World Cup, I think that kind of that kind of a player in your T20 lineup is going to be very, very valuable in the West Indies. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, from a legacy point of view, it, it's, I, I do feel for these guys because this, this was going to probably be, you know, they go through this tournament they're players that have got incredible accolades and that, you know, people are going to look back at their careers very fondly anyway, but this would have been the crowning achievement for some of these guys, particularly Rohit especially. Wow. And especially, I guess, with two World Test Championship finals and, you know, they've not got over the line of World Cup. Um, So, yeah, interesting. Bordy, any any thoughts on that before we move on? No, I think we can move on. I don't think India need to throw the the baby out with the bathwater, though. They've lost one game of cricket in an otherwise incredibly dominant 12 months. They've been phenomenal. They've been been incredible. This is the best Indian one-day side that we've ever seen, you know, in terms of the the way that they've played. So, yeah. Absolutely. Right. Format of the tournament. So... Um, we'll try and uh, yeah uh, our intro is 16 minutes so uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll try and get through some of our uh, 13 questions here but um, we've got the lead into the next tournament back to 14 teams two pools of seven with a super six phase um, this is the you know the format that we've talked about I think when we previewed the 2019 World Cup or certainly reviewed the 2019 World Cup I should say mm. we said that that was you know the best format ever because it mirrored that 92 World Cup uh, yeah, everybody playing everybody, mm. everybody in the same uniform as back in '92, <laughs> except uh, the, the colours were slightly different. Um, what, what do we think, you know, about the format of, of this tournament? Did it really have enough interest throughout the course of it? Do we think with one big round robin? And then, I, I, yeah, then I, I guess you know, with the full view of hindsight, would we want a longer finals phase? I, I think, uh, I think I've come around on this in that, yeah, I was very big on that that this gives you the best, you know, the best outcome. You get the best teams, everyone plays everyone, all these games end up mattering because, you know, everyone's fighting for these semi-final spots. And and to be fair, most of them did right the way through the tournament. I, I think we didn't see the close games that we wanted to see, uh, but, you know, on in, in terms of the points table, teams were very much into that last round. Teams were still fighting for that final fourth spot at least, you know, the, the top yeah. two teams in particular, or top three teams actually ended up pulling away uh, with a round or two to go. But I do feel like there there wasn't really, I do feel like there wasn't enough knockout games. I, I think that, you know, a lot's been made of, uh, you know, the, the best team in the tournament should win. But I do think part of tournament play is knockout games and is these fixtures where, uh, you know, perhaps what we're going to get with the Super Six and and all this sort of stuff that we've got, you know, two pools of seven in the next one, and I think even just that, the fact that you can expand to fourteen teams because what Afghanistan brought to this tournament, what the Netherlands brought to this tournament, I think actually was huge, and yeah. the way that they were able to, yeah, add something interesting about this tournament, and you know create upsets if you want to call them upsets I know a lot of people don't like that word but they were at the time when they happened Mm. they were upsets they were you know results we didn't expect and yeah I I started to think by the end of this tournament I wish that that knockout phase went a bit longer because I do think that that is a significant part of tournament play that that you have to master to be a champion side I, I agree. I think that we would be having a very different conversation, and please don't take this the wrong way, Adam, if England had performed to their expectations in this tournament and we had an extra side 
challenging for that top four. Mm. As it was, we had Pakistan kind of challenging for the top four, but kind of not really. We had Afghanistan exceeding expectations and getting up towards the top four, but never quite getting there. So we didn't have the jeopardy in the group stage because we had one team that we had high expectations of being in that final four Mm. out of the tournament very, very early. And therefore, they weren't battling for that same spot. And we didn't have that same number of games that had you know, high levels of jeopardy, as you said, on teams making the final four or not. I'm with you in that I would like to see, if we maintain this format for the World Cup, an extra game in the post-group play stage where you... Second by the cherry for the team. Exactly. For the team that finishes top or finishes second, an extra bite at the cherry would be, I think, ideal for, for them. And I think one of the unintended advantages of the group stage where your points carry over is that good tournament group play gives you some advantage going into the semi-finals and the final yeah i don't think there's a perfect way of doing it necessarily i think the thing i like about the super six format is the way that you carry your points forward against the teams that you've played and mm-hmm. therefore um it matters how you perform against particularly obviously in the later stage of the tournament it makes a difference that you've performed against other world-class sides throughout the course of that um, it probably takes out you know the the what happens if you get rained off against one of the minnows you mm. know and you, it gives you that sort of ability mm. that your record then against the other you know the, the other sort of heavier hitting teams is more impactful i, I um, would say that uh that probably hurts new zealand in the way a side like what new zealand did in this tournament yeah. where they were very consistent. This isn't an, a knock on New Zealand because New Zealand has has done this for a long time. But New Zealand is very cons- was very consistent in this World Cup and actually in, in 2019. But against some of those sides that were also semi finalists, yeah. they didn't win those games. New so Zealand they, didn't win them in 2023 you know, either. They, they didn't win them in 2023 yeah. and they didn't win them in 20 in 2019. But they managed to do what they had to do to get to this fourth yeah. spot and then get into those finals and play good knockout cricket. Adam made an interesting point in that the 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 effect of a washed-out game in a Super 6 tournament where you only play six pool games as opposed to nine, dropping a point for a no result actually has more impact in yeah. terms of the overall tournament. You know, the short, the fewer games, the more impactful yeah. dropping a point is. So mm. that 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 is um, a potential uh, gotcha there for teams that are going to drop a point. Um in the group stage, the other thing that a Super 6 tournament does is it gives an opportunity for a side like Kenya when we saw them make the Super 6s. Afghanistan would have made Super 6s had this been a 16 yeah, finals yeah. tournament. Ireland. Ireland, exactly. It, it sees them into the knockout stage of a, of, a, of a big tournament, which I think is huge, right? It's huge for interest. It's huge for the country that's playing. Yeah. It's huge for those players. I think it's a real advantage of the super six system is to have in you, you know it when you see a minnow team like australia make the super uh, the round of 16 in the football world cup you know it, the excitement in that nation builds and builds and builds because you're into into the knockout so i think that that is a, a real plus for the super six format awesome let's talk about format of one day international cricket mm-hmm. what what has this tournament done for 50 over cricket do we think what do you, yeah what do you boys think because i my, I, I'm interested to hear your arguments, but my initial thought is that I don't think one day cricket is broken. I think that actually there needs to be more emphasis on making uh, the pitches and the conditions actually uh, a, a fair balance between bat and ball. Because I think when we saw that in this tournament, one day cricket, for me at least, was fantastic. We saw games that, you know, anything in the 300 to 250 kind of range those games were great. They were they were much closer. They were they were you know more evenly fought, and they were games where actually you weren't just watching someone stand there and you know create an arc, swing the bat, and hit sixes whenever they wanted to. Which I think for when I think about this tournament is what happened too much, and I, and that's where bowlers. You know, we're going to talk about teams of the tournament and things. A lot of bowlers found it very difficult to you know keep batters under six and over a lot of uh, a, a lot of the chat around how do we fix one day cricket became about basically how do we help the bowlers it wasn't around you know how do we fix the actual game it was like how can we get the bowlers to have more of a chance against these batters with these huge bats these small boundaries and these flat wickets that can just smash it all over the park yeah, I agree. There's a really, uh, for viewers and listeners who are interested in the statistics behind this, there's a really good article on ESPN Crick Info about the optimum score for an ODI, both from a 
how many games are close point of view and what are the opportunities to win or what are the percentage chances of winning batting first and batting second and the outcome of the analysis was that scores between I think it was 250 and 275 produced the closest games and 275 to 300 are are really really close behind 40 to 50 percent of those games are close by whatever definition ESP and Crick Info used I can't remember off the top of my head readers can look it up but also the team batting first and the team batting second won roughly within a couple of percentage points of each other the same number of mm. games. So there's not necessarily the due factor or the winning the toss and batting first factor in certain countries that there that there is when you've got a really high score or a really low score. So I think if we were going to fix one-day cricket, I think it's fixing it so that that is the optimum score, which we know from statistical analysis produces close games, which we like, yeah. and also games that both sides can win. Yeah, I, I think... There's a couple of things. It won't surprise you for me to mention, you know, the the, the overrates and the time that the game takes. I yeah. think um, we we've, we have to change that. We've taken a step forward. There's a shot clock now. There is a shot clock. Uh, we, we have to change the fact that these games are now proportionally longer than they have ever been. Um, yeah, and then yeah. you look at um, you look at other sports, and there's been again some comparison done on Major League Baseball, for example. The gap is is, is huge in cricket in terms of how much longer it now takes to play the same length game that, mm-hmm. that was being played 20 years ago. The second thing I think that that I would like to see as a change, which I think will even that bat versus ball piece up, um, is actually to look at the cricket ball. So. At the moment, we use two new white balls, um, one at each end. Um, That means that we don't get that. um, And I know that it creates a different problem, but um, what it means is we don't see the reverse swing that we used to see with, you know, Wakar and Wazim and and all these guys that were great exponents of that. Um, And I think, obviously, the technology's come on now in terms of, you know, the pink cricket ball, etc. So I think there could be an option to change the change the ball, which I think would bring the bowlers uh, bowlers back into it in those middle overs. Because that you know that's where now at times the game just really does go dead, um, particularly with big bats, good wickets. You, mm. You've got one, once you know that you've got seven, eight, nine wickets in hand, mm. you, you can actually go through that middle period and still score at you know six, seven, and over, taking very few risks. And then you know it's absolute carnage in the last ten. Which I know we want to see those boundaries, but I, I also want to see a bit more reward for go, for going after a wicket in those middle overs rather than just trying to burgle as many overs as you can. Yeah, well that that's sort of what I was getting at because I, I think that. That, um, I think we might have seen this change from the fact that everyone said the middle overs were boring, right? Everyone, you know, the, the idea behind, oh, what, you know, 50 over cricket, it is boring from overs, you know, 20 you stop to at 15 yeah. and, you, and, you st- and you turn it back on at 40. Yeah, yeah. well, that's what the chat was, right? Yeah. But now what they've done, the changes that have been made, mean now that from overs 15 to 40 they're still just smacking it all over the park and personally i don't find that any better no. so I, I actually i don't I, I don't know how to fix that mm. but i i do think that you know maybe evening the battle between the bat and the ball will help there are a number of things that cricket can try and i think they should investigate and, and try it in professional cricket before they do it in international cricket uh, giving the fielding team the opportunity to choose which ball they take forward after 10 or 15 overs would be would be one potential way forward. You still get new balls swinging at the start and then the, t- the fielding team gets a choice. Um, obviously, they don't want to be roughing up one and, and, <laughs> and introducing artificially, you know, a ball that they can that they can scuff up. I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to that, to be honest. I, I, look, you know, we'll, we'll get we'll get to that neither, this week. In neither cricket. would David Warner. Anyway, um, look, there's there's plenty of opportunity to unpack that. Um <laughs> More fielders outside the circle in the in the opening ten overs. You know the the opening ten overs we've seen in this World Cup vastly different in terms of the way teams play the game and in with both bat and ball yeah. to the rest of the to the rest of the overs. So smoothing out the transition between two and four guys out. There are lots and lots of things to try. Maybe a fielder in the stands that you can play. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> guy, a guy sort of positioned in bay thirteen or yeah. in plain clothes or a, or a zone or something. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I look, bats bats need looking at. I think for me, you know, as a bowler. An international bowler, I'd be heartbroken if I worked so hard for, to make a better, make a mistake, and it still goes twenty rows back. You know, um, Mitchell Marsh was saying on in an interview, I you know even if I miss hit it, I know it's still going to go for six if I get most <laughs> of. It. I mean, that's not good for cricket, right? Like, I, I think there is something to that. Anyway, uh, lots to unpack maybe for a future this week in cricket when we consider yeah. it in in more depth 
in cool. more detail. Let, let's talk some highlights and lowlights, and we'll weave in some of our um, yeah our picks for our tournament team as well. So, um, Lippy, I might I might start with you because I think the first one on the list is is a New Zealander. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, I think my biggest highlight from a New Zealand point of view is certainly Ratchan Ravindra. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of Ratchan Ravindra stock uh, as a podcast in, in general. Uh, have we traded any of the Will Young stock for it? Or, you know, no, I have. I've sold my Will Young yeah. stock to buy Ravindra stock. Well, you're probably looking pretty good then from a from a point of stock point of view at the moment in terms of it going up. I mean, I, I think that none of us saw this though, right? I don't think any of us saw the fact that he might not have been at this tournament if it wasn't for Michael Bracewell's injury and he might not have played a game if it wasn't for Kane Williamson's injury, not, you know, not being fit at the start of the tournament. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe he would have still been in Jimmy Neesham might've been the one to miss out. Who knows? But regardless of all of that, I don't think anyone saw him opening either. You know, like no one saw this coming. If the selectors did, then kudos to them because they've, they've done a remarkable job, but they gave him this opportunity and, and he didn't just take it like this. You know, Ra, I mean, Raj said it after that first hundred against England, like he's grabbed this with both hands and potentially changed his life to change the trajectory of his career and change what uh, this is going to sound ridiculous, but you know, could potentially change the trajectory of New Zealand's next couple of years in terms of like us building for the future. There's been a lot about the, you know, the, the age of the side, and he's given us a young player that now New Zealand can go, okay, well, you know, how, how is he going to develop over the next formats? Is he going to play, you know, now is he going to play this Bangladesh Test Series? He hasn't really been in the Test side. Uh, or, you know, he's been in and out of the Test side, been largely, you know, a bit part player in that format. You know, where is his career going to go over the next couple of years? And it's, it's fascinating. And I think, you know, to see him play with such confidence and such calmness, it, it was just, you know, amazing to watch mm. and, and to be, you know, to be a part of. On a podcast, you're not supposed to use words that start with P because they make a little popping sound in the microphone. But, <laughs> but, but Plosives. Mm, but poise, I think. He, he had just displayed so much class and poise throughout this World Cup. I think the only person that saw 578 runs coming is Raj, really, um, in terms of, you know, expectations. Uh, he's had high hopes for Ratch and Ravindra for a long time, so he needs to get some credit He's been on the Ratchan Ravindra bandwagon as as you have Stu for a long, long time. So yes, he's is he in your team of the tournament though? He he is, but I tell you what, yeah, when we when we kind of talk about the team of the tournament, I did you know, I guess if we're if we're going towards that sense, I did have a very difficult time for, for New Zealand because a lot of the a lot of the team the, a lot of the good players from the other sides as well were also top order batters. So trying to fit in, you know, when we when we go through each individual team, you know, trying to work out where have you, where we got Travis Head, Quinton de Kock, Rohit Sharma, all these other players, you know, where where am I best to use my New Zealand player? I did have a few permutations where he didn't quite make it, but I do think from if we're going to pick a best player for New Zealand, I think it was Rutchen in the way that he was able to contribute because he scored three, you know, he, he contributed a lot across a lot of games. And yes, his spin wasn't super impactful, but he was still, the fact that he could bowl it and give us some overs meant that we, the way we balanced our side changed and all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, to score 300s against, uh, to, against England, against uh, Pakistan, against Australia, and then 75 against in India. You know, like we're talking about the better bowling attacks theoretically in this tournament. I, I mean, it, it was a phenomenal effort from him. I'm so glad you're excited about him. I don't think he's going to change the trajectory of New Zealand cricket as much as maybe you hope, but he will He will change it. He's changed his life, honestly, in this last eight weeks. He's, he's absolutely well, changed he's his life. He's certainly changed the next 12 months, yep. and, and then he's got to perform in the IPL, and then, you know, that could change the, the next four, four, or, four or five but, years. But even, even, if he, even if he doesn't perform well and he gets one contract for, say, $2.5 million, that's life-changing money yep. for, for a young man. And yeah. if, he, if he invests it wisely, if he's got a sounder head on his shoulders, as we think he does, and it sounds like he does from having chatted to him on the podcast, uh, he has got a very, very bright future ahead of him. Um, well done, him. But Baldy, a highlight from you, and maybe in, I'm hoping it's going to incorporate an Australian player. To, oh, sure, to add, it can. To, to add to our list. Look, it can. I'm having a look at my team in the tournament here, and it's terrible, absolute rubbish. <laughs> um, so I, w I wouldn't be looking at my team as, as the team that 
uh, were the best performers in the tournament. I mean, some of them are, but it was very difficult to find a player from every nation and fit them in against guys that missed out here. I mean, there's some of the guys that have missed out. Ravindra is one of them. Uh, Headwater, Maxwell uh, all missed out from my team of the tournament as well. Um, so, look, so many good players, so much excellence in this World Cup was one of my real highlights. It was just the amount of outstanding play we saw over the course of this tournament. We've talked so much about batting and how excellent the batting has been, but guys like Shami, Madhushanka, uh, I won't list too many more, but the, the bowling was also outstanding in patches. We've had some really, really exciting cricket being played, records being set by batters and by bowlers. The level of excellence in this tournament um, for me has been outstanding. But one of the things I liked in particular was the performance of Afghanistan uh, above expectations over the course of this World Cup. We spoke about them in the preview. What was a pass mark for them in terms of games one? I thought it was two. I think we sort of extended that out and said a stretch goal of winning three would be brilliant. They won four. They were just brilliant in this tournament. And very um, close to winning five, obviously. A, absolutely. They were in were within a hair of beating Australia, really. Um, and and that was you know that was a, a, a very good game as well. So I had Ibrahim in my tournament. Um, we spoke a lot about Gerbards over the course of the yeah. tournament, but Ibrahim three hundred seventy six runs at forty seven strike rate of seventy six, consistent performer. Uh, he was in my my yeah. team of the tournament. I, I've got Ibrahim as well, um, and I had Kane for New Zealand actually. Um, I, I just think because of the impact that he have having had him come back from two injuries really, an injury into the tournament and perform straight out of the gates in that first game. Um, and then even after his you know second injury came in and and, um, and looked quality. Um, okay, so yeah. he he was he was phenomenal. And, and look, there are, yeah, there are other candidates for New Zealand. I mean, you know, Daryl Mitchell. Yeah, well, I had Daryl Mitchell. Mitchell Santner. You yeah. know, there, I think there are there were there were some really strong performers uh, just on Afghanistan. How good do we think they can get? Because this their side is very very young. They're a side that uh, you know has. Uh, some, sometimes we see these these you know tournaments right and a and a team rises or exceeds expectations and you think that it's a linear trajectory right you that they're going to go okay so next in four years time they're going to be this well one of the sides to beat are they going to be you know Sri Lanka that goes on in, in 96 and wins the tournament mm. are they going to be a team like that which you know if you look back to 92 I don't think Sri Lanka was anywhere near as good as Afghanistan was in this tournament. But, yeah, I mean, how good do we think they can be, given that I still don't think that they're in the regular, you know, I haven't looked at their fixture list. They they are in the, you know, World Test Championship and they, they, they are starting to get more games. But, you know, I, they don't get the number of games that every other team gets. Without getting into the murkiness of the politics around Afghanistan cricket, let's leave that to the side. If we just focus on, let's, let's make the assumption that, that all of that gets sorted out and funding it's a large assumption because we, we, I don't think we, we can't solve unpack, that we, we can't unpack that we yes. don't have time to unpack that even on this podcast with the three of us let's assume that that all gets sorted out and they get quality games against quality opposition and they get funding to develop their cricket pathways and programs in country their, their floor I think is Sri Lanka they've got so many good young spinners we've now seen the emergence of a couple of batters in the middle yeah. order in this in this World Cup as well as the openers that are capable of delivering on the biggest stages against against good attacks i think the floor for them is is beating sri lanka and beating sides like sri lanka in the tournament um, beating bangladesh those are the games that i think they would be targeting on a, to regular, win basis. On a regular basis not a yeah. one-off basis but a regular yeah. basis so this for me is now the benchmark for them going forward finishing fifth or sixth in a world cup looking at the group six stages for 2027 yeah. for example and, and look, like you say, we've not got time to unpack that, but I, I think unfortunately you can't park the politics and that's that's going to be the defining factor a little bit like it probably has been for Sri Lanka. Yeah. You know, and when the you, West Indies, right? When you look at when they came into the international game, what they did winning that 96 World Cup, but... You know, we've just been suspended. I know that. I know that's they. They were. They asked to be suspended. So Did that they? they? Yeah. Well. Well. Yeah. Again, we, we might come on to that. But they, I think they actually asked the ICC to suspend them to try and get the government interference out of the game. But mm -hmm. um, anyway, look, we, we've not got time um, to, to go into all of that. I'm going to go with the lowlights, um, and, and it isn't an England lowlight, um, but it's going to give us an opportunity to talk about Pakistan. I, I really hoped that they could probably performing this tournament in conditions that they're not used to playing in 
um, because of the quality of the, the the side that they were able to put out. They were sensational in that T20 World Cup in, in Australia that England um, just managed to get over the line in a, in a tight final. They'd got three or four absolute gun batters, um, three or four absolute gun bowlers. I, I was gutted that they didn't... Um, yeah, they didn't sort of make the latter stages of the tournament because I think, again, uh, coming into the kind of jeopardy conversation, if they had got into those knockout so- stages, you wouldn't have wanted to play them in nope. the semi-final. Um, so d- disappointing that, you know, they, they didn't uh, they didn't manage that. Barbara Zam kind of almost got going, but n- didn't kick on and get a, get a, you know, get a big score, a big hundred. Um, I've got uh, Mohamed Rizwan as my, um, yeah, my, my Pakistan player in my team of the tournament. And, any thoughts on that? I found it so hard to pick a player from Pakistan because they have underperformed, I think, in this World Cup against the standards, against their capability. Let's yeah. put it this way, right? Against the capability that they had. Their ceiling was semi-final, final in this tournament in terms of the side that they had on paper and, and the way that they can play. But if you have a look at the way that they performed over the course of the tournament, no one really stood out with bat or ball. I mean, you've got Shaheen, 18 wickets at 26. Rizwan, 395 runs at 65. But they're really the only two, and maybe Baba that, that, well, that, well, that are, are deserving. Shaheen was well below his best. I know, I know those stats look, you know, okay on paper, but I think the eye test, you know, he was nowhere near what, what I had, you know, hoped for him as a, you know, but top his, level his player. His ceiling is is best bowler in the tournament, yeah. really. Like, if he I is agree. at his best, he is upside with Bumrah and yeah. Shami and all the rest of it as best bowler in the tournament. So, yeah. you know, that even if they were slightly below their best, I, I think that, yeah, I agree with you, Adam. I, I think we Bit might have underestimated the... the the weakness of their spin attack and how much that might hurt them. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit during the tournament about them, you know, missing Nassim Shah. And, and, I, and I do think that played a factor. But, you know, because it meant that there was a lot on Harris Ralph and a lot on Shaheen Shah Freddy. And yeah. I don't think either of them performed, you know, particularly Harris Ralph found it very hard to kind of... Out of his role. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. They he's, s- not in the, he's not in the role that he performs best in. And that, and I think that's the problem for Pakistan is they had too many players like that in that tournament. Yeah, and, the, and you know, yeah, just their, their, their strength really was that they had, you know, such a good core of bowlers and then you took Nassim Shah out of it and their spinners were just ineffective in this tournament and suddenly you had two or three handy bowlers. I mean, Mohamed Wazim actually was someone I considered for, for my team of the tournament. Statistically, he was even, even though he only played four games, but the fact that he kind of came in and and I think was the, easily their best bowler while in those games, you mm-hmm. know, showed that he could bowl in different stages yeah. of the game and, and perform really well. But yeah, 10 wickets yeah. at 21. Yep. Yeah. So, okay, we've got a New Zealander, Ratchin Ravindra. We've got um, Ibrahim from Afghanistan. Well, I didn't have Ibrahim. If, we, if we're going around the table. But who do you have? I, I had, we, I had. If we go around the table, we are going to be here all night. Who did you have? I had. I, I had uh, Asmatullah Omar. I, I I thought he was fantastic, and I actually yep. think in the same way that Ravindra, uh, you know, changed the trajectory of his next twelve months. I would be stunned if Omar is not in like all of the auctions going forward. Yep. You know, the way he uh, can hit the ball, the way he can run in a bowl. You know, he's going to be a very sought-after player in a lot of these auctions. And, yeah, yeah. I, I thought his contribution... I didn't have, even have Ibrahim in my con- conversation just because I had actually him and I had Shahidi, the captain, because I just thought that he he contributed... I think he scored three fifties in a row at one point. He was very, very consistent throughout the tournament. And we knew their openers were going to be good, but I think that their middle order really is what sort of got them to those wins and yes. took them took them across the line. So yeah, a few not outs boosting their averages there, Amazi and, and Shahidi, but both of them averaging uh, fifty and seventy yeah. in the tournament. So they've done very well. Oh good. Fantastic argument. Two one to Ibrahim <laughs> and we're a democracy. Right. Are we? Well we're, we're not, but we have to be some, okay, something we'll, we'll in order something. to okay. in, in order to not, you know, not exceed the recording length of the camera okay. or uh, Well let's move if, along. If you want to be quick, do we I, I think we said we would have two players from one team. Do we both have Coley and Shami? Because, that, you know... I've leading, got Coley and, and Shami. Yes, leading yeah. wicket-taker, leading run scorer. Yep. Coley showed that he, you know, absolutely still has it. Absolutely, you know, 
is going to be in every single conversation uh, for n- ODI goat of all time. N- like, nine scores in the tournament, yeah. like out of out of eleven knocks, it's Se- it's unbelievable. Seven hundred ninety four runs at average of ten thousand and a strike rate of infinity for Virat Kohli. And, and, and I think you know what Binksy just said is is the most impressive part for me because yeah. when you look at those averages, there are a lot of averages when you go, just go through the list and you see players that have been bumped up by their not out, uh, by so their not out or whatever. And then you just run through Collie's scores and you go, okay, well, he scored 300s and 650s and, nine, and, t- and 11 digs. Yeah. The consistency was just amazing. And, you know, his wicket in the final was, I, I think, the big, well, you know, him and Sharma, yeah. those were the two big moments that, moment. that changed those, that game. Uh, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit then about Sri Lanka and then the Netherlands next. Who who have we who have we got? I'm hoping it's a clean sweep for Madashanka. Yeah, so Sri Lanka's easy, right? Because in a tournament, again, where they were under... Par, oh, I think. Dis- they were dismal. You can say it. They yeah. were they were terrible, weren't they? They they were. I mean, some extenuating factors, injuries and yes. players and turmoil Absolutely. and all the rest yeah. of it. P- please don't unsubscribe in Sri Lanka, by the way. But yes. Oh, <laughs> I think, yeah. Sri Lankan fans will be disappointed with no, the way they that will. their, their, their team Absolutely. played. But they should be excited about Dilshan Madashanka, 21 wickets at 25. Absolute chaminda in the making. That's his ceiling for me. He could well, be as good as chaminda. Bo- different bowler than chaminda. He's faster, isn't he? It, yeah, he was excellent. Absolutely superb. The Netherlands? Who have we got for the Netherlands? Oh, I had Baz Talita. I've got Baz Talita at seven because if I need to get down to seven in my batting and if I need him as a bowler, then I've got my t- the other players in my team have, have done something wrong. I found it very difficult to pick a, a standout player from the Netherlands because they all contributed equally without any of them being outstanding in the course of the tournament. Mm. Um, and they all have what look like on paper middling returns in terms of averages and runs and strike rates, etc. But they were a team that outperformed their statistics over the course of the tournament in terms of the way that they played. But yeah, I had I had to pick someone from the Netherlands and I had an all-rounder spot open, so I picked Baz leader. I, I went with Scott Edwards. Um, yeah. I just thought that his... I, I think... He well, one he scored two fifties in the two games that they won. So yeah. I think that can you know I I tried to uh, give a lot of weight to contributions that mattered when you look because as we just discussed the stats can kind of tell you one thing, but I tried to focus on yeah what what actually mattered, what got these players or what got these teams wins. And I think Scott Edwards as well kind of summed, you know, yes, because he's the captain, because he's the wicketkeeper, can sum up the fact that you just said, that they played better than the sum of their parts. And, and I, you know, I think actually they're quite unlucky to have finished last in this tournament. When You know, when you look back at that scorecard, by no, no way do I think they performed the worst in this tournament. I, I think they, you know, should be ahead of Bangladesh, should be ahead of Sri Lanka. I agree. You know, in terms of actually the cricket that they played and, and even the challenge that they offered to other sides. I know they took a couple of big hidings and that's why they're so low down. But yeah, look, I think they I think they really performed well and, and I'm I'm encouraged to see what they can do going forward. What I would, you know, I guess what I would like to see is is for I have no idea, this is a comment, not knowing anything about the development in the Netherlands. A lot of these players that in that side obviously play for different, you know, they, they play the bulk of their cricket in different countries. I guess the, the next step I would see from the outside for the Netherlands is, you know, building your depth where you've got a great under-19 side. You know, like Afghanistan had a really good under-19 side that has, and yeah. Bangladesh and these other teams that have got these really good youth sides that can go then build their cricket. And I, I don't know that you're ever going to get that in the Netherlands, maybe not, but, you know, yeah. I think that's the next step to them actually being a more consistent side in years to come. I, I think it's been tough for them, particularly post-Brexit, because I think a number of their players would have yeah. been able to play County cricket and that avenue got taken away mm. from, from I think Basilida actually I think he was at Sussex, um, so I, I I think that that's probably taken them back a little bit in terms mm. of development, particularly playing in the northern hemisphere as well. So um, yeah, I, I, they clearly need some inv- you know investment. Ireland would come into the same category I think in terms of you know there are probably more cricket grounds for sure in Ireland than, than there are in the Netherlands, but I think it's that infrastructure and that. Um, development that they're going to need and and then yes a window a shop window for their players yeah um to play in which is going to be yeah is going to be tough for them to de- develop a domestic competition as a standalone uh, a standalone thing yeah um let's get Bangla- in, bangladesh real quick we'll get bangladesh and england out of the way okay yeah bangladesh anyone thoughts i i had mamadullah because there Just was a, no one else yeah. to be quite honest with yeah. you 
Fair. I had Mamadilda as well because he's the only one who stood up. D- disappointed in Bangladesh? Hugely. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Hugely. Had all of the right tools in the right part of the world for them to T- perform. Too many guys at the end of their careers? You know, the likes of Shakir, the likes of... I, I uh, think it's the opposite, actually. I, well, I think the disappointing thing is the opposite. That, you know, we're sitting here going, Mamadoula was their best player. You know, Shakib is another one that was in yeah. the conversation. And uh, Mushfika. Like, yeah. they were the players that performed best for them. Yeah. Whereas they've got a lot of young talent... But, you know, you can see it in the glimpses that they give you, the players like Shanto and, you know, but we we just didn't see it and, and we didn't even really see it for, you know, two games in a row. We kind of saw... You didn't even see it for one game in a row. Half an innings, right? you know? You, you saw yeah. glimpses from Sri Lanka of excellence. Bangladesh. But, uh, sorry, from Bangladesh and Sri Lanka of excellence. But yeah. then you saw long, long periods of cricket that is not up to the standard that they would set for themselves in the field with the bat or with the ball. They, they made rookie mistakes. They they just weren't consistently excellent enough to, to match it with some of those good sides like we saw Afghanistan do. Consistent excellence over the course of the tournament was their recipe for success. Yeah. Um, England? Did did anyone have anyone other than Milan? I didn't. I, I had Milan. And, and I think the disappoint... I think, you know, when you were talking about team building... I had Milan, and that meant that I couldn't have a bunch of other top order players because you know when I when you know Milan averaged forty in this tournament. When I think about that England side, I st- I think he was far and away their best player in terms of the, well, someone that actually well, held their own. Well, Bordy's got something different, and, and I've got the casting vote. I've got Stokes. Yeah, Stokes averaged fifty, and he scored three hundred and four runs. Okay, he only scored three hundred and four runs, but he didn't play the whole tournament. He's the only guy who really we saw glimpses of how good he could be in the tournament. We didn't see anything from Butler. We didn't see anything from Bearstow. We saw glimpses maybe from Wokes one or two games. But like England gave us glimpses and patches of the team that they could be, but they just they just weren't at the races, unfortunately, in the World Cup. And it's a huge disappointment for me that they weren't at the pointy end in the tournament because we would have had a much different conversation about what this format was like and you know close games and all the rest of that permutations come off the back of a strong England side in this performance. So um, a, a good World Cup is, an, a, is a strong England World Cup. I can't believe I just said that. Um, I, I've gone with Milan. Um, and the reason I've gone with Milan, I, I think he's leading into the tournament. There was still noise and conjecture around his place in the side. Um, and in the you know in the games where we we did perform he performed as an individual big yeah. 100 in one of the games 140 odd and importantly for me from a strike rate perspective that was going to be a criticism of whether he was going to get us off to the kind of starts that we needed and any strike rate was above 100 so yeah. um yeah close run thing because i think like bordy said stokes you know showed some glimpses of brilliance and um, unfortunately, that's all we really got to go on from. Uh, well, unfortunately for me, that's all we've got to go on from England was the, the odd, yeah, agree. the odd glimpse of of, uh, of brilliance. I like Milan. Let's move on to South Africa. I, I think we we talked about them in the preview show. I'm pretty sure I talked about them in the preview show and thought they were going to be going to be a chance. Um, and, and they, yes, yeah, certainly turned it on towards the the latter stages. Um, some destructive batting. Who have we got as on our list? Yeah, yeah. Well, we thought. I mean, we asked, didn't we, at the st- in that preview, which South Africa is going to turn up because they'd just crushed Australia in that you know, series beforehand. You know, they they'd shown the destructive power that they their batting had, and that side turned up to the tournament. And throughout most of that tournament, they were very, very good. You know, they had a couple of bad days. They obviously, you know, couldn't quite get across the line. We we'll see two hundred and thirteen or whatever is not not a good score for for uh, South Africa two hundred and twelve. It's not a very good score for South Africa to be chasing in a, in a semi-final against Australia, but you know that they were they were brilliant, and a lot of their you know that's that's where when we get to these the the top four semi-final spots, there weren't many other players outside. I don't think there were many players outside of that those top four pl- squads that you'd pick in your world. You know your your yeah. best tournament team if you were Absolutely. just picking just the picking best the players. Best team. Yeah, you know I think me and Bully were talking beforehand. I don't think our, the tournament team that we're going to end up with, I think any of the, I would back any of these semi-finalists to beat that tournament yeah, team. but that would have been easy. Oh, I know, no. no I, I guess I'm, that's just the point I'm making. And I think there were a lot of 
contributors. I mean, yeah, Quinton de Kock did not make my side, but I thought he was absolutely fantastic. I actually went with Gerald Kutsia, mainly because, you know, I, as I said, a lot of batters in these other sides that, that I had to fit mm. in. Rizwan, Long hair and a headband. And, and he was just fun. He's just so much fun, and he bowled he bowled brilliantly. You know, 20 wickets at, at under 20. He he added something to that South African bowling lineup that really made an impact. And I think, yeah, he was he was fantastic. And, I, and I'm another player that I'm kind of excited to see where the next 12 to 18 months go for him. Can he, you know, if Nokia comes back in, can he break into that test side and, and really make an impact at, at all sort of all three levels if South Africa yeah. ever plays test cricket again? Well, well I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Nokia because I think when, yeah, he pulled out of the tournament with injury, that was where I thought, oh, that they might struggle a little bit now um, from a seeming perspective. So I've got Kutsia as well. Um, and, and look, I think when I look at this, the stats, you know, 20 odd wickets or 20 wickets exactly, I should say, average of 19.8, but his strike rate of 19 is is well up there. I mean, Mohamed Shami has got like under 11s bowling figures, so I think you kind of take him out. Um, <laughs> you know, take 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 out the, the highest, high score from the Russian judge and the low score from the American judge, don't you? <laughs> um, so Shami comes out. So f- from a seeming perspective, you know, he's he's better than Bumrah from a, from a strike rate. Um, perspective, and he only um, played seven games. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he missed missed four games, yeah. or missed three games. Mm-hmm. Baldy, you, you got him as well. No, I have Quinton de Kock. Yeah, five hundred ninety-four runs, four hundreds. Swan song performance. We think maybe unless he unretires at some point. <laughs> yeah, um, he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and he was for me still the best opening bat at the World Cup, even better than Rohit because Ooh, he well because he allowed his guys behind him to overachieve in the course of the tournament. He allowed Russi van der Dusen to overachieve, Markram overachieve, Klaassen overachieve, Miller overachieve. Well, not overachieve, but they maximised their potential and they were given the most opportunity to to do what they were doing best because of the start that they got from Quinton de Kock. Bavuma didn't have a great tournament. Reza Hendricks actually had a pretty good tournament when he was standing in for Bavuma. Yeah. Uh, but, but it was de Kock that got them off to the start Holy that they needed. smokes. I've only just flagged that he got 400s. That, that's where his tournament was very different than Sharma's, wasn't yeah. it? So so different. Sharma got off to those flying starts. But got lots of 40s. And got, yeah. And and then it was actually Virat that did what Quinton de Kock did for South Africa and that, that he built, you know, he built the the longer innings that allowed the other players to bat around, whereas yeah. Quinton de Kock he did, did that jobs. right from yeah. the top. He, so. had to, he, had to go for, he had to go for it in the opening overs and then he went on with it and made, you know, big scores. But if I've got this right, we've only got one nation left, haven't we? Did we decide who we, we got didn't. for Australia? Of course we didn't, because we asked Bordy a question about <laughs> Australia, so we avoided the answer. That's what yeah. he always does. Yeah. Um, which has worked out nicely on this occasion, because yeah. the, the winner of the tournament gets to talk about um, who they're picking from yeah, from their country. In fact, I, the listeners are going to know who you're going to pick. Who did you pick for Australia? I actually, everything about me wanted to actually picked Travis Head because of the way that I've just said uh, I wanted to value uh, performance in the big moments. And I think his 100 against New Zealand, which at that time, that was a massive game. That was, you know, sealing your spot in the semifinals and not having to have the jeopardy for the for the rest of the tournament. He'd obviously just come into the tournament at that point to go out and for him and Warner to score 118 off the first 10 overs, blow New Zealand away and, and do that. Then obviously to contribute in both the semi unexpectedly with the ball, take a couple of wickets, and then in the final to, yeah. you know, on the biggest stage in front of, you know, a billion people. I sense a butt though. Well, I, I couldn't fit him in because I had to have David Milan and, and you know, these other these other top order players. So I actually went with Zampa, mainly because I had to have a spinner. Like, I had to have a spinner in the side. I, I do think Zampa's, you know, deserving of being in, in there. And, I, and out of all the spinners, I think he was the, the most impactful. You know, you could make an argument for, for Jadeja and, and mainly Jadeja, I think, over Kuldeep. But both of those two Indian spinners were, were very, very good as well. But Australia's tournament turned when Adam Zampa's form turned. You know, the first couple of games were terrible. And even if Zampa didn't have, he actually didn't, have huge contributions in the semi or the final, but throughout the course of that tournament, as soon as Zampa became a factor through the middle overs and you know picking up wickets in those stages, 
Australia's tournament turned and, and I think he was yeah, very much deserving yeah, of being the number one spinner in this tournament. We'll give you the final say, Baldy. Okay. Um, Who have you got, Adam? So I, I was I was actually between, and I, and I, I cannot believe I'm going to say this. <laughs> I, can we clip this for the for I the don't sessions? think I can actually say this. I've got David <laughs> Warner written down on my list. Um, again, I, look, I just think, you know, tournament swan song for him, you, you would suggest. He keeps saying, although, see although, in 2027. Although he's, yeah. And look, he is supremely fit, isn't he? So, uh, look, who knows? But i would got Warner written down, but I think I've got to give it to Zampa. Um, again, balance of my, yeah, my side. Um, so, yeah, I've got Zampa. From a statistical perspective, the form he showed, the consistency he showed, and then I think also uh, 297 is the key number for him throughout this tournament, and that is the number of oat milk flat whites he made oh, okay. <laughs> with, his, with his barista skills. Yeah. Can, yeah. I, can I just say, it, it is quite remarkable and probably goes to show why Australia, you know, why the all the, like, Australia were massive underdogs and, you know, maybe weren't the best tournament team in this tournament is sort of a bit silly because... We've just named a bunch of players. We haven't named a guy who scored a double hundred, and a guy who's and that same player actually scored. We might, def- do. We might do. And and no, but I mean, like in in this conversation oh, so okay. far, yeah. we haven't named a guy who's you know scored the greatest ODI innings of all time by by many people, and in the same tournament scored the fastest hundred of the tournament, which was a separate inning. So, yeah, yeah pretty impressive. Uh, our format for picking the team of the tournament is severely flawed because I don't have him in my side either. Yeah. You're right. He's you know, if anyone hasn't clicked, that's Glenn Maxwell. Yeah, that's isn't Glenn it? Maxwell. Yeah, 400 runs at 66, strike rate of 150. I think he averaged about 55 with the ball, but that's all right because he's then he's plus 11 as an as an all rounder. Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so yeah, I didn't have him in the team. I had Adam Zampa. Australia were rubbish in the first two games. Adam Zampa looked a shell of himself. I think he was carrying an injury. He looked mm. like he was labouring in the field, even down at third man. He wasn't moving well in those first couple of games. But he came right, and Australia turned their fortunes around with it. He was the guy who got Australia going from a from a bowling perspective. And he had to, because Australia's pace bowlers weren't doing the job in the first 10 or 15 overs. So he carried a tremendous burden for Australia from a bowling point of view. But you're right. Maxwell 400 at 60, Head 330 at 54, Warner 535 at 48. All fantastic contributors for Australia. There you go. Boys, we've ticked over an hour on the podcast. So any closing comments about this World Cup before we before we wrap up? We're leaving with Michael. Oh, don't leave it with me. We'll be here all night. Um, no, no, don't leave it with me. Can I, can I just say, uh, I, yeah, I really, I know we've said it so many times, but I've really, really enjoyed the the fact well congratulations to us firstly we said we were going to do daily pods every single uh, game of this tournament and we actually did so you know if if you've stuck with us for this hour you know I think we deserve a little pat on the back for for doing that you know I'm very very happy that we did because it meant that we got so much interaction from everyone else and all the chat that we've had you know we've said it many to many times thank you for all of the the conversations that we've had with you on YouTube and and you know through our social media but it has been really fun and it made the tour- it actually made the tournament a lot more enjoyable for me waking up you know going without sleep for for all of those days it actually made it so much more enjoyable to kind of share it with a lot of people and that's actually what it felt yeah, like so can I just also echo that sentiment to it and just thank the fans that reached out with kindness and with positive engagement throughout the world cup it's very very easy to be negative when talking about you know the creative works of of other people um so i just want to say thank you to everyone who who showed kindness and showed love because you know um when you when you read a negative comment or when someone tells you you suck it kind of does <laughs> it gets through the otherwise stout um armor of my defenses so thank you everyone for your kindness and support it means a lot to us here at the top water pod and we hope you're enjoying our show yeah I'll go the other way. Thanks for the negative comments because <laughs> it gets me fired up. Well, you could direct <laughs> them at me, Adam. It gets me fired up. But no, look, it's been great to have the support throughout the course of the tournament. Um, I've actually really liked, uh, in a different way to you, Lippy, the, the, the way the games fell in terms of timing because it meant there was always that little highlights package ready for you to watch when you got up in the morning. Mm. Um, so that was, you know, a really good way of following the tournament, I think, um, particularly with so many games. You, you know, I, I couldn't stay up every single night and watch every game like you. I, I don't know how you did it um pretty pretty much but it was yeah it was great to watch those little 20 minute uh 20 if minute you look closely, i've got a massive bag under my one of my eyes has just completely given up this week 
after uh, after all of just not oh, getting any sleep. I'm sure the viewers uh, will, will, will point that out on the on the, on the YouTube. But no, it's been an absolute pleasure covering the course of the World Cup. As we said earlier on the podcast, we've got uh, cricket already um, in situ um, across the world. So we will be back next week. We'll cover uh, the first couple of games in this T20 series, um, India. Um, and Australia, the game starts in five hours and 13 minutes. Crick Info reliably um, informs me. And then we've got, um, obviously, New Zealand domestic uh, cricket has been in full swing all the way through this World Cup, the Plunkett Shield. Um, so we'll Just saw Ajaz and, yeah. and Neil Wagner on a, on a plane over to Bangladesh, so that Test Series is not far away. Yeah, so we've got Test Cricket coming up as well, um, all before Christmas. And, and then, of course, through the Big Bash and the Caribbean Premier League and, and everything else. So we, we will be back in your feeds um, on a weekly basis now uh, for this week in cricket. So perhaps some uh, news and views and interviews um, dotted throughout the season as well. We'll also be taking a Top Order podcast road trip as well. So um, we hope to see some of you in, in person at cricket grounds around New Zealand. We'll be down in the basin, um, I think, for the test match against Australia, won't we? Um, well, you've seen it now, so we have to do it. Yep. Absolutely, and we'll have daily updates um, from there, no doubt. Um, but for now, it is good night and good bless from us all here in Auckland. If you have enjoyed the podcast, um, please recommend it to a friend. If you haven't subscribed or liked on YouTube or one of our podcast channels, please leave us a review. Um, smash like whatever you need to do from a, a social media um, perspective. We will get some professional help with this at some point, I'm sure. Um, but it is good night and good bless from us here. We'll see you soon. Good night. <laughs>